Welcome to the Create a Relationship You Love Summit. I'm your host, Andrea Carella, and the benefits of the summit are to help couples create satisfying, authentic, harmonious, and passionate relationships. Today, we have a very special guest, Sue Johnson, who's one of my mentors and also has created the Emotionally Focused Therapy for Couples and Families Technique. Her effective and internationally respected approach has improved the relationship of hundreds of thousands of couples and families around the globe. I have such respect for Sue Johnson's work. Today, we'll be talking about creating a secure attachment in your partnership. We will cover the different attachment styles, how to create a secure bond attachment in your partnership using three areas to focus on, as well as being able to discuss how infidelity, grief, and loss, trauma, and addiction can impact a relationship and how to recover and thrive as a couple despite those areas and issues. Welcome, Sue, onto the summit. It's an honor to have you on today. Hey, Andrea. Nice to be here. Fantastic. So, Sue, can you tell us a little bit about what attachment is and the different kind of attachment styles that exist? Sure. Um, There's a whole lot of new science that's just come out in the last 15 years or so on adult bonding and how we attach to people. And um, what we basically want, it's given us a new way of understanding romantic love. Um, What we basically understand now is that romantic love isn't just about sort of mixture of sex and sentiment. It's really an ancient wired-in survival code designed to keep people we love close to us. And what we understand is that there's laws associated with romantic love, just like there are laws for uh, mother-child bonding, for example. And I think we understand things like that we all have this built-in longing, not just to have other people close, but have one or two people that we can really be close to and depend on and who will come when we call, who are there for us, who are what we call... A-R-E, accessible, responsive, and engaged with us emotionally, who we matter to. We're bonding animals. We all need this. And when we have this, the world seems safer to us. We're better at dealing with our emotions. We uh, have a safe haven to go to. And we feel stronger and more confident so we can go out into the world, take risks. Ironically, we can kind of be more separate and independent just because we know that we matter to somebody they'll come when we call and part of this is that when we are emotionally disconnected from the people we love and we we feel like they won't respond to our call we're not sure they'll come and help us or be with us or that they care about us we get very distressed we feel alone upset and usually if we can't get them to respond any other way We'll kind of push them and get critical and demand. And that's just our need connection coming out. But unfortunately, it can sometimes come out in a way that pushes the other person away. So we've understood all this and we've understood how it turns up. It turns up in our sexual relationships, these patterns, these ways of dealing with our emotions, understanding our needs, sending these messages to people. And what's also become clear over the years is There's really three sort of basic patterns that people get caught in. Get caught in, it's about how they send messages to other people, um, how they kind of get into this dance of love with other people. Um, And 
one pattern is secure. Secure is where we are pretty confident that other people will respond to us. We feel pretty safe with the person we love. And so when we're vulnerable, we can we have the confidence to turn and accept our need for connection and reach for them in a way that pulls them close. And that's what we call secure. It's a secure style. Um, it's also sort of about how we create relationships. Nobody's there all the time. I mean, you can't always count on your partner. We get stuck in disconnection. You know, any relationship does. But at least some of the time, you're confident that your partner is accessible and responsive to you, and you can trust that. And that gives you kind of a confidence in yourself in the relationship. The other pattern that people get caught in is what we call anxious, where you have huge doubt that, that you really matter to the other person. You can't really be sure that you're there. You worry all the time about them, and you end up pushing for connection all the time, and you might get very jealous. You might, you're never really confident that you're loved. And that sort of ends up being kind of difficult because you can never just relax and be with your partner. And the third one is avoidance, where people have learned that they can't trust, they aren't sure of their connection with other people, and they're just decided to kind of numb out their longing for closeness. They, um, they say things like, I'm not comfortable being close, I don't want to depend on other people, I want to be independent. Um, after lovemaking, I don't want to hug and kiss, I just want to go to sleep. So these folks are what we call avoidantly attacked. They're just not comfortable being close, especially when they or their partner are vulnerable. These patterns sort of come from our relationship, but um, we also take them in and they define how we deal with our emotions, how we send signals to our partner. They can change. We change them in therapy. In, in the therapy we do called Emotionally Focused Therapy. I talk about them in my book, um, Hold Me Tight, and in my latest book called Love Sense. They can change, but um, what, we, what we do is we help people understand how they've got caught in these patterns and how they dictate how they respond to their partner and how they invite their partner to respond to them. So, you know, what you understand you can shape. As we understand relationships, we can learn to shape So this new science and attack is for the first time really teaching us how to shape love. We mm. don't have to just fall in and fall out. Um, we can shape Right. Now I'm curious how our family of origin and even our past relationship attachment styles can affect our current relationship and how people on the call or our audience members can understand maybe how that maybe has impacted them so that they can avoid some of those pitfalls? Yes. Well, you know, we learn how to dance with close others and how emotions are really the music of that dance. We learn how to deal with our emotions and express our emotions and dance with other people um, in our first relationship. So we learn that from our parents. So if your parents were basically there for you, were kind, were close when you needed them, you learn that other people are a source of comfort, you learn that you can trust other people, and you kind of trust your own needs for connection. And then when you go out into the world and create a romantic relationship, 
you've got sort of a map for how to do it and how to connect with the other person. And, you know, for example, that vulnerability is okay. It's just a human thing. It's nothing that you need to be ashamed of or hide. You learn that with your parents. Um, and all the research says that if you have at least one parent who's been really there for you as a child, that this gives you a sort of strength and inner confidence that sort of almost inoculates you against um, really bad depression and anxiety in your adult life. So it's kind of a resource for you. But the tricky part is that not all of us had parents like that, mm. even, one parent, even one parent like that. And some of us learned in relationship that the parents were sometimes there, but often they were unreliable. Sometimes they came, sometimes they didn't. Sometimes they came and they were punishing or they were rejecting. We felt abandoned and rejected. And when we've had parents like this, we're more sensitive to abandonment and rejection. And we're looking for it. And we are kind of demanding of our partner. We need our partner to reassure us a lot. And sometimes that's okay. The partner can understand those needs and it works out. And we start to relax and become more secure. Sometimes it all goes wrong. And our anxious attachment that we bought from our childhood ends up um, really being kind of the way we dance in our adult relationship and start to be part of that relationship not working. So, you know, we can, we get our basic model for how to be close from our parents um, and it can be a source of strength or it can be something we need to change and revise in our love relationship or occasionally it can almost like get stuck on on button and we we just kind of follow this one way of being close, like being anxious and demanding reassurance all the time. And that ends up making our adult relationship difficult. And of course, the other one is, if you've learned as a child that other people absolutely not, and you can't trust them, and when you feel vulnerable, the best thing to do is to shut down and shut other people out, then, you know, you're probably going to do that in your adult relationships as well. Mm. And the question is, do you get stuck there? Or can you learn? Can you learn that, hey, this doesn't work too well. My partner gets upset when I shut them out. And actually, I'm all alone when I shut them out. I might be safe on one level from being rejected or abandoned or even abused, but I'm all by myself here. Can they learn that? Or do they get caught in just shutting down and saying, this is me, this is who I am, I shut down, I don't like closeness, I don't like huddling, you know, do they get stuck in that? And that's a tricky one because then they're not really able to be there for their partner. So these things from the past impact how we are in the dance with our love relationship, but they're not, they're not, they don't completely you know, we don't just act out this blueprint. We can learn about it. We can change it. And indeed, we see people in our therapy sessions, they're able to look at how they send uh, messages to their partner, and they're able to start to change them so that there's more safety and open people. Um, you know, we try to move people into more security and less 
anxiety and less avoidance in their relationship. Sure. Yeah. And I think sometimes those getting and protecting behaviors interfere in closeness and can really pull people apart, whether shutting down or criticizing. And But the beautiful thing is that we are so malleable and that this approach, emotionally focused therapy, really facilitates a, a secure attachment bond and also repairs some of that old damage that's been done in the past or some of those current patterns that create separation and disconnection. So I thank you for explaining that and how to give hope to the people on the call on how things can can change over time. So that brings me to my next question. In creating a secure bond and attachment in your partnership, you mentioned those three areas, accessibility, responsiveness, and engagement. Can you give some examples to the couples on the call on maybe two or three examples on how they can be accessible, two or three examples on how you can be responsive to your partner and two or one, yes. two or three examples of how to be engaged with your partner? Um, I can try. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, basically, you know, it's like the big question. This new science says that you don't have to be a perfect partner to have a good love relationship. You don't have to be perfect and perform all the time. You basically you just have to be there. You have to be emotionally present. And that's something that lots of us absolutely don't understand and haven't learned. And understanding how important this emotional accessibility and responsiveness and engagement is really didn't start until we started to look at mother-infant bonding in way back in the in the 1970s, 60s. Um, and you know, we started to understand how important it is for adults in about the last 15 years. The old idea was that adults were independent and sort of separate and they didn't need this emotional connection, which is absolutely not true. Um, we're bonding animals. We need, we need that emotional connection from the cradle to the grave. It's wired into our neurons. We need it. And it, it's not a weakness. In fact, it's the greatest resource to have to be able to turn to other people and sort of share the load of, you know, being alive and dealing with life and our vulnerability so accessibility is about you know how open are you with your partner you know couples come in and work with us and often they're stuck in a pattern where one person is anxious and not feeling loved not feeling close and they're getting caught in pushing for that close arm you know demanding that close asking for that closeness and getting critical you know why don't you ever talk to me um, why don't you want to hold me when we make love? How can you uh, spend so much time going to the gym? You know, why don't you ever um, tell me how much you love me? And and they're caught in that. And the other person is caught in avoidance. I don't want to talk right now. Um, why do we always have to fight? Um, I need to go to the gym. Um, I want to go and work in the garage. I don't want to talk about this. Avoidance. The more one person avoids, the more anxious and sort of demanding the other person to get and keep stuck. And what we show them is that this is really all about the pain of disconnection. Nobody feels safe. Both people are lonely. Both people can get caught in being just angry or numbed out. And nobody feels safe enough to talk about the softer feelings underneath, like like the fact that they're lonely and they're sad and they need this connection and they don't have anyone to turn to. 
talk and can feel important. So we help people understand that. And as we talk to them about the dance experience, usually we then ask them questions and help them talk about softer feelings like, well, I'm not just reactively mad at you. Um, I'm actually sad. I don't feel close. I'm actually scared that you don't really need me, don't be close to me. Um, I'm actually scared that maybe I'm not as you want. Um, I actually, you know, get feel sort of hopeless sometimes because I'm not sure things are going to work out. And when somebody starts to be able to sort of open up and become accessible, they look safer. You know, they they don't look as scary. They look safer. And usually what happens is, especially in therapy, but, you know, you can do the conversations in my book, Hold Me Tight at Home, and, and it happens as well. Um, when people take the risk to really sort of show a little bit of who they are and open up and become more accessible, um, often that elicits empathy from their partner. Their partner says, oh, um, usually you're, you seem so angry, but right now I didn't know that you get scared in our argument. I, I didn't know that you didn't think you were important to me. That's, that's not true. Um, you know, I move away because I don't know what else to do uh, because the, I don't want the fight going, but you do matter to me. And so the other part of the stuff opens up. Often when people are withdrawn, if you ask them what's going on in their softer feelings, they'll say things like, well, I feel criticized. I'm hearing that I'm disappointing. I feel rejected. I don't know what to do. I feel hopeless. I don't know what to do now. So I just stop talking. I just kind of shut down because I don't know what to do. And it's not that I love this person or this person isn't important to me. I just don't know how to do it. And that's the other thing. When we haven't understood romantic love, which we haven't until about 20 years ago, why would any of us know what to do if we don't have a roadmap? So, you know, then the other person starts to become more open and they start to understand that they're not so different from each other. Both are feeling scared, both are feeling alone, and they're just dealing with them a bit differently, that's all. One person's sort of pushing to get close, and the other person's backing off, trying to sort of not get into arguments. So both people become more open and accessible, and there's sort of a pathway for the other person that becomes a bridge for the other person. And they start to see each other, not just this mad person who's always nagging, they see more of each other and they start to be able to send cues, vulnerable cues, and request that full empathy from the other person and create responsiveness. So, you know, couples come in and even if somebody risks asking for what they need, the other person can't even hear it. You know, a man comes in and says, well, I guess I do shut down and withdraw, um, but, you know, I'd really like them good feedback sometimes and I never get it because you know I work very hard I try to be a good husband and I know I have faults but I'd like her to tell me sometimes that she sees that I do try to be a good husband and I never get that and the therapist might say could you tell her do you ever tell her that you're really hungering for that kind of uh, message from her 
So he says, I'm not sure I could do that. But then he does and he turns and he says, yes, you know, maybe I don't tell you, but I really need to know that you do see that I'm trying and I might disappoint you. I'm trying to be a good husband. And the other person says, well, then maybe you should try harder because, you know, most of the time I just don't think you're there for me. And so that is like one person invites, says, can we change this dance? Will you respond to me on a different soft level? And the other person can't manage it. You know, we get sort of stuck in rut. It, we, it, we all do it. It's human. The other person can't manage it, and they don't respond. So basically, they say, no, I'm not going to give you any validation. This changes in a good relationship. In a good relationship, when our partner, even when we're stuck in a fight, when our partner changes channel and changes the emotional music and starts to send a softer message, then, you know, we we listen, we tune in. about tuning in? We tune in and we allow ourselves to be touched emotionally and to respond. You know, you can see this, um, you can even see in airports with people saying goodbye, comforting each other. One person reaches for the other person. And the other person responds. They turn, face goes soft, voice change. They touch the person who's leaving. They respond to their emotional cue. And you see it between mothers and infants too. The child starts to cry. The mother doesn't doesn't just keep looking at her cell phone and you know give the kid a bottle with her left hand, not looking at the kid. The mother turns and gazes at the kid. Reaches down, leans towards, it, softens her voice. Says, "Oh, um, do you want your teddy bear? Are you scared? You know, everything sort of. It's like I'm there for you. I'm there for you. So this responsiveness. People don't understand how important it is. Your know, men, in particular, say to me, "I'm supposed to solve problems. I'm supposed to be the problem solver and find solutions." And I go up in my head and I think about what should I do about this and what's the best thing to do. And what they don't understand is that most of the time the solution to the problem in the relationship is for them just to be emotionally present. So, you know, a man will turn, rather than shutting down or giving his wife advice, about five minutes of advice, just makes her angrier, um, he suddenly tries something new and he says, I see you're upset. I don't want you to be upset, but I don't know what to do right now. And he's just being accessible and responsive. He's being there, trying to tune into her. And he's blown away when his wife turns and smiles and says, oh, sweetie, you know, that makes me feel better. And he looks at me and he says, what did I do? I didn't do anything. I didn't come up with a solution. I say, no, you're the solution. You're your, your presence is the solution. That's right. And when you get this, it's hard to do when you don't feel safe with each other. That's the point. We, 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 it's hard to lean in and tune into the other person when we don't feel safe. And so we help people understand how they get caught in dances that, that like demand withdrawal, demand shutdown, that rob them of their closeness and their safety. And we help people understand that it's dancing problem and to be able to step out of it and then create enough safety that they can be open 
and send messages that pull the other person to and that they can hear their part. This is, you know, takes a lot of attention and energy to do this. You're not going to do it if you feel like you're waiting for a saber-toothed tiger to reach out the bush and jump on you. If you think your partner's just waiting to attack you, you can't manage the accessibility and responsiveness. When you feel safe enough and you learn to reach each other, you create this incredible engagement we call intimacy, closeness, you know, and it, it's not just on a verbal level, it's you see it in the way people, at the end of our therapy, or even at the end of our groups, educational groups we run using the whole type book, you see people um, gaze at each other more, touch each other more, lean towards each other more, stay there longer, um, you know, it, it's this kind of incredible engagement, and our mammalian brain codes that as safety. Our mammalian brain says that everything's okay in the world if I have somebody who's standing beside me. Um, emotional isolation is traumatizing to human beings from the cradle to the grave. That's just the way our brain's wired. It's not something you get to choose. The, you know, the, the Rambo movies are, um, on the one hand, they're entertainment, but they give a terrible message, which is that um, we're, we can just be strong enough to just survive on our own. Whereas, in fact, our whole nervous system and our whole brain is wired, longing for this engagement, not just our social group, but a few people we really matter. So this accessibility, responsiveness, and engagement A-R-E, is the base of your bond. The amazing thing about this is, now we know that, you know, um, we know how to shape that and to help people repair their relationship. You know, way back when I first started in the field, people used, therapists used to do things like, we just teach people communication skills. Trouble is when you don't have your emotional balance and you all caught up in the fear of being abandoned or rejected, you can't use those skills. Your skills are all sitting in your in your rational mind and you can't even access them. They don't even relevant. So we try to teach people skills, we try to give insight into their past. We, you know, we try to do all these things. And none of them help very much. The research says they don't help very much. What does help and what gets great results but last in our research 30 years of research behind um, is to help people understand love, understand how they get stuck in these dreadful dances and scare the hell out of each other, leave each other lonely, and then understand how to become more emotionally accessible and open engage with each other. And when you do that, you create these amazing bonding moments. Yeah, I think it's so it's so beautiful. I've I've seen it in in my own office when working with couples, where couples acknowledge some of their patterns of behavior, where they're trying to send those signals, but in a way they they're sending the opposite one, maybe right. an aggressive one. Yeah, they're sending the message. I'm dangerous. Not comfortable. Right, and they think that they're sharing 
their vulnerable feelings in that. And so I, I think that really the key to being accessible to your partner is being able to put yourself out there in a softer way. And then also right. for the other person to be able to respond in a gentle way and then vice versa. That creates right. that trust so that the couple can actually start engaging and communicating and connecting and understanding each other better and breaking out of those old patterns, which is so vital and really just helps empower the couple to feel close and strong together as opposed to vulnerable and alone. So, Right, right. Yeah. Now I'm curious, how does uh, infidelity grief and loss or trauma or even substance use impact the relationship and how can a couple recover from those and and thrive despite that the bottom line all those things impact um they it, it depends on how you handle them but all those things can take you away from your partner and create this distance um which then becomes distressing on its own so, um, you know, one of the ways we're starting to understand addictions like alcoholism is that they are ways that people have found to adapt when other people were not there for them. Your natural, healthy way of dealing with your emotions and your dealing with your, the vulnerabilities that we all have is to be able to turn to other people for comfort. That makes you stronger. But if you can't do that, if the people around you are dangerous, if you've never seen that, you don't even know it's an option, then what are you going to do with all your softer feelings? And then what happens is we turn to the bottle to make us take us out of our negative feelings, to make us feel better or to give us a high. And the bottle kind of becomes our safe place where we go. And then, of course, the, the need for the bottle starts to take over our life. But unlike attachment, that need has all negative stuff associated with it need the bottle more and more and when we're upset we turn to the bottle not to our partner or the people in our lives so it becomes sort of self-fulfilling prophecy you know the, the, the worse our relationships become the more we turn to the bottle so alcoholism addiction is a big deal we work with a lot of couples who where people have started to recognize that they have an addiction and that it's taking over their lives and they want to learn another way and they need to you can't just stop the addiction. You have to substitute it for something positive and we teach people how to turn to their partner and then of course they don't need the bottle so much. They have a positive way of dealing with this off. Um, the same thing with PTSD and trauma. We work with lots of trauma folks, lots of orbit. Um, and the thing with trauma is, you know, the most natural place to heal trauma is in the arms of someone you love. And if for many, many reasons, you don't feel safe enough to turn to that person and share your pain and let them comfort you, which lots of us don't. Uh, military men have been taught that that's a weakness. Soldiers, firefighters have been taught that that's a weakness. You're not supposed to tell your partner about your demons. She doesn't want them. It's a burden for her. She won't respect you because you've got them. All this stuff, all these dreadful messages. Then they try to deal with the demons of trauma on their own. And we're not wired for that. The human brain and nervous isn't wired. Uh, we can't do it. We, we run out of the resources, no matter how strong they are. Um, we can't do it. 
And then, of course, our symptoms of trauma get worse. And what we do is we work with lots of trauma folks, um, teaching them how to share with their partner, turn to their partner and the demons, and teaching the partner how to understand what's going on and how they have an amazing gift. This is the natural way to heal from trauma. And um, we have research studies that show that the more you can turn to your partner, the better you are dealing with those dragons of trauma. If you try to deal with them all by yourself and you shut other people out and numb yourself out, um, you feel better just for a moment, but the demons just come back because they're, they're in the shadows and they come back stronger. Infidelity, the thing about grief is you see grief, one of the worst situations is the death of a child. One of the tricky ones is that um, partners often deal with that grief in different ways. So one person wants to be held and comforted and wants to cry. The other person feels overwhelmed and wants to just numb out. And that's very tricky because then they can't grieve together. So that's something where people really need some help. Infidelity is something we work with all the time. And it's like every other problem in the relationship. If you understand people's basic needs and you understand um, how emotional disconnection, how painful it is to people, and how we only have so many ways of dealing with it, then you can help people understand how the affair happened, um, what they need to do to heal it. And we do help people heal affairs. Um, we have a study on that. You can look at it on our You can look on, if you want to hear more about this, you can look on my website, Dr. SueJohnson.com. I've got lots of little videos on this. And we have studies on our professional website, www.iceeeft.com. And you can see our studies on, for example, helping people with infidelity. The issue with that one is um, you can't do it from a moral or a sort of in your head point of view. You can't say, I'm sorry, okay. And it won't happen again, so let's just forget it. It doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And people don't know what else to do. So we help people really understand how it was that one person turned away and reached for somebody else. We help people understand their partner's pain. Um, how come that's so painful? How come somebody just can't um, sort of put it aside and go on? And then we help people move back into this emotional connection where one person can actually talk about their pain and make sense of it, put it into words, and the other person can actually tune into it and turn and respond in a way that is saying, I, I care about your pain, I feel your pain, I don't want you to hurt, I'm sorry that I was part of that pain for you. I don't. I want to be close. And that mm. kind of message, that kind of um, dance, when you move into it, heals bonds. Mm. It recreates trust between the couple. Right. And you know it works. But you, but you have to do it the right way. That the world is full of people trying to heal these emotional injuries in ways they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the emotions or the need. 
and the way they try to heal them, in fact, just keeps them going. It was mm. like, I've said I'm sorry a thousand times, okay? I'm mm. sorry. No, that doesn't work. Right. You know, I just hear this angry person who's trying to dismiss me. So what's really positive about all this is we understand love better and better. We understand the things that shape our love relationship. We understand stuff. And what's great about that is we have a map. Mm-hmm. And for the first time ever in human history, we can actually understand how to shape loving, lasting relationships, mm-hmm. how to deal with the ways we injure each other. I mean, there's something about this that's amazingly hopeful. You know, it's real positive. Whereas if you look out in society, a lot of the messages about relationships are amazingly negative. You know, uh, we can't, you can't be monogamous can't be with one person and if you try to stay with one person can't have good sex you know mm. you, if you're going to be bored or oh, it doesn't work anyway uh, you shouldn't even need other people you should be mm. sort of separate and independent all these negative messages um this science is different it's very yeah. helpful and positive this creates a, a new reality for people that actually allows people to feel safe and secure and connected again and feeling empowered that that there's a, a roadmap and a guidance system to be able to get there. So I, I think it's beautiful that that's available right. to people. And it's amazingly rewarding. One of the reasons why therapists all over the world are turning to EFT, um, you know, and giving their clients um, the Hold Me Tight book is that it's amazingly rewarding. All these people all over the world are coming to therapists and saying, Help me, I want to know how to have relationships. Imagine when you're a therapist and you suddenly feel you have a map and you say, mm. Yeah, I know how to help you. Right? That's amazing. Right. Now, I know that you have um, a very special free gift just so audience members can connect with you and maybe a resource that you have available on your website. Can you share a little bit about that and where they can access it? Um, you can go to my website, drsuejohnson.com. There's lots of little clips, lots of little talks. There's lots and lots of little interviews. There's lots of stuff on there. Wonderful. Um, and, you know, um, I think that would be useful for people. We've, we've put lots of resources on there because we want people to know about um, this new way of dealing with love relationships. Sure. So I think there's lots and lots of stuff on there that people can, can appreciate, you know, um, that will sort of help you tune into what we're talking about. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This was a wonderful conversation. You're most welcome. Happy to talk to you. Thank you. Once again, I'm your host, Andrea Carella of True Potential Counseling. And just to recap what we covered on today's show is the different attachment styles, what attachment is, and then also how to create a secure attachment in your partnership. The three focal areas of accessibility, responsiveness, and engagement, and then also how infidelity, addiction, trauma, and grief and loss can impact the relationship and how a couple can recover and thrive despite those issues. Stay tuned for tomorrow's next interview. We have a great interview coming up as well as the one that we covered today in the Create a Relationship You Love Summit series. Looking forward to connecting with you then. Have a great day.